And we're in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. And it says this, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You guys can grab a seat. Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Man, how cool is it out there to see all the Minahoonies and the Oompa Oompas and the, <laughs> isn't it like the Willy Wonka chocolate factory out there? Just, <laughs> uh, that's what the church should be, right? Just loving the world with Jesus. Well, uh, good morning. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Um, you know, I've uh, had different... Uh, church members who are Ukrainian, Russian, uh, come up, Moldovian, come up and, and uh, just express how heartbroken they are and what a difficult time. You know, we, we, ever since World War I, those of you that are historians, you know that that was the war to end all wars uh, because uh, what was happening in this world at the time was uh, the height of... Uh, Humanism, where uh, we now, now that we got it out of our system and had the big war, we have uh, the universal brotherhood of humankind, uh, the fatherhood, God being the fatherhood of us all, and that we're all now just going to get along. And, and uh, it's an interesting idealism because I think that uh, our politics kind of still live with that, that we're, it, it's just all going to get better. And um, the truth of the matter is that uh, there's, there's evil in our hearts that um, un, unchecked, and in this case, the person of Putin, uh, it can do dastardly things. And so uh, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. Lord, we do pray on, on a number of fronts. Father, first of all, we ask that you would roll up the sleeve of your right hand and uh, you would flex and that you, God, um, would disallow that you would stop Putin uh, from using worse weaponry. We ask that you would turn him around from his uh, megalomania, that he would allow the Ukrainians to just live their lives God, we ask that, um, that there would be no fingers that uh, would even think of pushing the nuclear button. We ask that you would give all of the Western leaders wisdom, leader of China, and even the people that surround Putin, wisdom uh, to de-escalate this thing. And, uh, caused the, the Russian troops to return to Russia. God, we're brokenhearted that in many cases brothers are being asked to fight brothers and, um, and 
to fight a war that many Russians don't even believe in. And so, Father, we pray. So we pray often for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Kiev and, and for peace in Eastern Europe. God, be with the church in Ukraine. Be with our brothers and sisters, giving them courage, giving them hope uh, beyond all of the temporal uh, politics and war. Give them hope. And Father, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. Give us ears to hear uh, what your spirit would say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying. Uh, well, let me bring you back to where we are in this series. Um, we're leading ultimately up to Easter. And uh, we've basically taken bits of the Sermon on the Mount to think through, okay, Jesus, CEO of the new Jesus movement, he, he started this startup spiritual corporation, so to speak, and he gives his disciples the purpose. And many people have been confused about the purpose of the church to this day. Some people think that the purpose of the church is to be a Jesus club waiting for heaven. Uh, some people think the church is supposed to be a, a theological seminary that figures out what's right so we can judge everybody else that's wrong. And some people think that we're to be a, a, a castle that is escaping the evil of culture. And when we forget that Jesus is the only leader we have, we don't get to make up the rules. Jesus is the leader, and he said that we are salt and light. And so I've spent the bulk of my ministry being a salt shoveler, uh, getting people out of the church, not to leave the church, because we need these locker room settings so that we can find out what we're called to do. But the primary ministry is outside the doors of the church, right? Someone say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, okay. So Jesus says we're salt, and then uh, he tells us in the Beatitudes the style in which we do ministry. We don't get to follow Jesus uh, according to our style. For example, I say, I'm sorry, but I'm a darn right person, so I have to follow Jesus as a darn right person. You don't get that option. We, we do Jesus, but we follow Jesus, Jesus' style. And that's what we're, we're going to spend one more time talking about how we are salt into the community, Jesus' style. And so I chose this passage for us to just consider. And uh, I, you know, I just think, I, I just love everything about Jesus. So he, uh, he finds Matthew in the story. And Matthew, you know, he has this Jewish name, uh, Levi. And, uh, and so he's got this dual name. Mark uses the Levi name. Matthew uses the Matthew name. And, and he says to Matthew, follow me. Now, if you remember, and you, I'm sure you don't, there was a movie that came out in the, I think, the 70s called Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, it was very weird. You know, Hollywood has a way of weirding uh, things. And so it, it asked the question, what would Jesus be like? If, and it answered it by saying he would probably be uh, some kind of Zen guru who maybe smoked a lot of pot. And so uh, 
they've depicted Jesus in every scene as being glassy-eyed and everyone who called his name Jesus, he would turn to him and look. It's kind of spacey. And people like Matthew, he would say with a little Jedi maneuver, say, follow me. And then Matthew would get up and follow Jesus. Well, you and I know it didn't happen that way. Jesus was earthy, is real. The whole point of the incarnation is he became one of us. He ate with us, he drank with us, he wore clothing like he spoke in Hebrew and he spoke in Aramaic. He, he was a human as well as divine. He was among us. So what was that like? And here we have him depicted as eating. So probably when he called Matthew, he had developed a relationship with Matthew gradually, just like he did with some of the other disciples. We know from the book of John that he developed a relationship with Peter and Andrew down in the Jordan area where John the Baptist was baptizing long before he called them from leaving their fishing boats to follow him. So that was Jesus' style. So my guess is he's built this relationship. They've had many, many discussions. Uh, and then finally, he comes to Matthew and says, it's time, follow me. So when Matthew gets up and leaves the, the tax collecting booth, he knows that he has to be all in to follow Jesus. Now what ensues out of that is that Matthew has a lot of friends. And all, all of his friends happen to be tax collectors and sinners. So under the umbrella of sinners in, in the Hebraic sense is people who made way bad decisions in their lives. In another passage in Matthew, we find out it included prostitutes. Now that's pretty bad. But it also included people who had unfortunate circumstances happen to them with sickness or poverty that the synagogue deemed they must be sinners because they wouldn't have these things happen to them. And so they were largely ostracized and we find Jesus eating with them. Now this is the problem. Jesus is eating with sinners. My question is, has he told them where they are doctrinally wrong? Has he told them where they are morally wrong? By eating with them, are you validating their lifestyle? You're validating their choices. Jesus, what are you doing? If you were the son of God, a pure, sinless man, you would know that these are defiled people and you would not be eating with them. That's the tension. So the Pharisees, as we'll read in the passage, begin to judge. And they judge Jesus. And that's been the dominant view of outside culture of Christianity in our time as well. Some of you are familiar with one of the recent Barna polls given to uh, people 18 to 25 asking them uh, your number one opinion 
of the church in America. And the number one is judgmental. Now, I admit that we have done that, but I wouldn't have thought, really? I think of us, at least this church, as packing meals for the poor. That's how I think of Christians, that we are the first ones to help uh, our history. The evangelical of the history of the church is to stop slavery, uh, abolition. The history of the church in America is to start hospitals for the sick. The history of the church in America and in England is to revamp uh, not only hospitals but prisons. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. We've been amazing. But the culture is not aware of that because there are times, not you, but someone <laughs> that has had an opinion. And so this is how it goes. And we are emerging. I hope I can use that word emerging. Who knows? But we're emerging out of a pandemic season where because of fear and because of tension we don't know what to do with our anxiety and we have a little bit of data and so we come up with an opinion right out of opinion we meet people who don't have or share our opinion either online or in the news or friends and the third step is we judge them you just need to know that you're wrong. So Jesus is here. He's actually eating with the people. Now, if you've been to the Middle East, and it's not just the Middle East, it's other countries. We are the country of fast food. Want to go out to eat? Nine minutes later, we say, how was your burger? <laughs> that was an amazing time, right? But much of the rest of the world, eating is all about relationship. It really, it's, it's not about the food. It's about we hang together. And all of my Middle Eastern meals in the Middle East and also here and up in L.A. with my friends, here in San Diego with Egyptian friends, it's, it's three hours. You are never done before three hours. You with me? And... We are not doing theology. We are eating. We're laughing. People are sharing stories. We're being human. And then out of the human sharing, we're, we're bonding. We're coming together. And Jesus is doing that. So here's the first thing I learned from Jesus is that truth is preceded by love and ministry. You don't start out by theology. You start out by building relationship. So if you wanted to be a missionary to the Muslim world, which Middle East is largely Muslim, uh, but not just Middle East, uh, Iran, Pakistan, parts of India, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, almost a billion people on the planet are Muslim. You say, well, how do you do it? Well, probably you start out by telling him that Muhammad was an idiot, right? That's not where you start. <laughs> well, you, they just need to know. So what would you do, Mark? You need to eat hours of hummus. 
and falafel and hummus. And you just tell me your story. Oh, tell me what's going on with the kids. You build relationship. You, you're with me. And Jesus is modeling for us what we do with sinners. Uh, he crossed social and political barriers to be with these people. Nowadays, out of this tension that everyone uh, seems to be a social assassin armed with a podcast. <laughs> we just go out armed with a podcast to just shoot at anybody else that needs to be corrected. But it, my point is it's not where Jesus started. And there isn't a classroom happening here. It's not a courtroom. It's a table where he's hanging out with these people. So that's the first thing. The question that we would ask ourselves is, are we willing to cross political and social barriers to be with people who don't vote like me, who don't think like me, who don't look like me, but they need Jesus? It's a great question. Jonah is a great story. How many of you have read the book of Jonah? So, believe it or not, Jonah is really not primarily about a fish or a whale. Uh, Christians, again, we love to debate. Was it a fish? Was it a whale? Was it a, a fish that was created one time? Or was, is there a species that could swallow a man but doesn't live anymore? And it's just like, you're missing the whole point of the story. Let it go. The point of the story is that Jonah did not want to be with sinners. The Ninevites. Oh, yuck. I've been to Nineveh. It's modern-day Mosul. That was the headquarters of the Assyrian church before ISIS came. It's, it's an ancient, ancient city. But the Assyrians used Mosul, Nineveh, as their capital. And they practiced horrendous things. They practiced immorality. They sacrificed to, to idols. They worshipped idols. They conquered and enslaved other people groups. And in the case of Israel, the Assyrians brought the Israelites back to Assyria, and then they transplanted other people groups there so that northern Israel would never thrive again. And that's how the Samaritans were invented by the Assyrians. They were a horrible people group. And Jonah, as a prophet, is called to tell them about Jesus. Now, think of that. Now, can you think of a person that you would prefer that they not be next door to you in heaven. They vote different than you. They, they feel differently about vaccine mandates. Just saying. <laughs> they feel different than you about everything. And God is calling you to love them into the kingdom. Oh my gosh. So Jonah gets on a boat to Spain. 
to disobey God. Now remember, he's just like Matthew, follow me, and he chooses not to, and so he goes the other way, and that's where the fish comes in. <laughs> but the only point of the fish is to redirect Jonah back to vomit him on the shores of Lebanon to make sure that he understands he, by the grace of God, is going to Nineveh. And then after he preaches in Nineveh, he sees them repent. They cry out to God for forgiveness. Now, think about that person that you hope isn't in heaven. Looks different than you, votes different than you, thinks different than you. And Jonah doesn't know what to do. Heaven full of Ninevites. So now he's pouting and he's depressed. And so God has a little talk with him. It's a great story about the challenge of all of us. Will we be like Jesus that sits at a table with sinners? The next thing you see in the story is that you have this, these religious leaders that feel the need to judge. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why? 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 Does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So their view of religion is we are escaping from the yucky people. That's why we're in church. We don't want to be around the yucky people. That's why we vote the way. We don't want to be around those people. And so they, they don't understand why Jesus is hanging out with them. I read a uh, theologian years ago that I thought, wow, he rocked my world. And I won't tell you his name because I don't agree with all of his thinking. And if I mentioned it, you would maybe perhaps shoot at me. Uh, like, why would you ever read that guy? But he had an interesting point. He says the church spends the bulk of his time being against culture rather than going into culture. And it's an interesting framework, way to reframe things. Am I someone who's against culture or am I someone who's going into culture? Now, one is defense. But remember, you can't be salt and light just with the defense. You won't score. You need an offense to score. You have to eventually go into culture, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's being salt and light. But they have no view of that as the Pharisees. So they're judging Jesus, and they shoot at him. These uh, proverbial arrows. And they have, secondly, a picture of a very clean and stainless synagogue that has no sin in it. They don't have a picture of a synagogue as a messy hospital. So you and I need to think about right here, how do we picture church? Is church the sinless, perfect place that everyone has come through the door and there's, uh, there's a scanner that you go through that, that detects whether you're, you're carrying any sin within your body and uh, once the, the scanner goes off, we send you over to uh, the confessional booth 
to deal with business before you can worship with us, or that's one view of church. Another view is that this is a messy hospital. That this is a hospital, and all we're asking you to do is take your medicine. We're not validating your disease, but we're asking you to take your medicine so that we don't all get sick. And when God buttonholes us and says, Mark, I don't want you doing that anymore. Uh, Mark, you need to change here that I'm taking my medicine as I begin to follow Jesus, but I'm not sinless. Third thing about the Pharisees, and the reason I, I'm picking on the Pharisees is I don't want you to think I'm picking on you. It allows all of us to say, yeah, those bad Pharisees, that's the way they were, okay? They mixed true religion with church politics. And what I mean by church politics is there's a right way that you need to think, and if you don't think the way we think, we're going to let you know that you're thinking the wrong thing, and we as the mob are going to try to correct you. My example is when I first came to Christ, uh, I, I didn't know anything. So I'm, I'm a true, true sinner, um, doing things that I should not have done and be, being doing, and that's why I accepted Christ at 2 a.m. In, in my bedroom. I just, I was awake. And, but I said, I don't know who you are, God. Uh, but you're like the hound of heaven. Well, it won't leave me alone. <laughs> so whoever you are, I surrender. Do you know how I discovered that Jesus was the Son of God? Uh, through the Jehovah Witnesses. Now, careful, no arrows. <laughs> Put them down, let me explain. So these guys kept coming to my door, and I said, hey, I'm good. I just, I just, I became religious the other night. You don't need to come here anymore. <laughs> I'm on your team. And they kept coming. Every Sunday, they're coming, and I just, I finally confronted them. I said, hey, I noticed you didn't go to any of my neighbor's door. You drove up, and you came to me. So what, what is going on here? Well, we just need to talk. We just thought you had this, we were in the neighborhood, had this literature, just thought that you. And so I called my youth pastor. His name was Lonnie, and, he, and I said, hey, Lonnie, these people keep coming to me. And, and he says, who are they? And I said, I think uh, they call themselves, and he says, you need to stop this conversation because they don't believe that Jesus is God. And I said, he is? <laughs> oh my gosh, Jesus is God. So that was my, I'm just letting you know what a sinner I was. And so I was on this journey to discover who Jesus was. So I just show up the next week with my Bible in the church. I didn't have a Bible. My parents had a Bible. I figured it was good. It was black. And uh, so I, and I come through the door and uh, Usher stops me and says, what kind of Bible are you carrying there? And I said, like, are you kidding? I'm just trying to fit in. And, and I said, it's it's like a black Bible Bible. 
And he says, let me see it. And he turns to the front and he says, ah, figures, this is the reverse slandered version. Get rid of this. We're a King James church. That's church politics right there. Where the mob over an issue that should not be the major issue, it's a minor issue. There, and it, it creates group think and we all become, gradually become Pharisees. The Pharisees did that. They followed the disciples and said, you're, you're picking grains of wheat on the Sabbath. It's like, what? What the what? You know, we're, we're just walking through a field and, you know, popping this. Well, you're actually doing work on the Sabbath. Check it out. You're picking and you're moving your elbow to your mouth. And, you know, this church politics. Why are we doing that? But we do that with voting. We just came through a period where we did that with mandates. You got to think this, you got to think that. And, and, and we don't want to be these Pharisees that are spending our time judging other Christians and other churches. It's not good. And the, and the community sees the church end up being judgmental. Next, the Pharisees see themselves as judges, umpires, calls, calling balls and strikes. Um, they see their pride. They don't see their pride, their judgment, their gossip and division as sin. They strain at gnats and swallow camels. So this is oftentimes in the church where I don't see my concern over that as being pride. I don't see my concern over that as being divisive, which is in fact a sin. Uh, I don't see that as not being loving, which is actually a very important doctrine, the doctrine of love. I just see it as I just need to be right. When I was in seminary, um, I was really good at Greek. I studied Greek in college and tested out of it in seminary. And I would come to church with my Greek New Testament. Full-on Pharisee <laughs> to the max. So I would sit there listening to the preacher preach, and I'm reading it in the Greek, and I would nudge Jan regularly. That's not true. It's not what it says here. He's wrong. You know, I was so much fun. People ask me what it was like to be a pastor the first 10 years of your life, I said, probably if you went to my church, hell, because I was the darn right pastor for the first 10 years of pastoring, and then the next 10 years, God beat the living daylights out of me. <laughs> uh, Pharisees, and I was the worst. Pharisees have lost their purpose to be missionaries. And they've lost the fact that God was forgiving and gracious to them. There's a story in the life of Peter where Peter, you know, is forgiven by Jesus. Do you know that story? The end of John. He, he, he denies Jesus three times. And it's predicted in the same passage that Judas will betray Jesus. And I... You, it's, it's a kind of a fine line to, to distinguish between betrayal and denial. I mean, that is pretty big. 
to deny your best friend three times, the third time with cussing. And so he does that. Jesus restores him. And then he has this incredible vision that says, I want to accept Gentiles. It's kind of like the Jonah thing. That these sinners, these people that, don't, that aren't Jewish get to follow Jesus. And Peter becomes the great evangelist to Gentiles. But then later on in his life, he's up in Lebanon. Uh, he's up in Antioch. And he, uh, he's eating with Gentiles day after day and hanging out just like Jesus modeled. Then, one day, the boys from Jerusalem come down. And these guys are this persnickety, you need to do it the right way, the Orthodox Jewish way. And if you're not doing it the right way, the Orthodox Jewish way with uh, kosher food, circumcision, this way and that way, then you're really not following God. And Peter gets up from the Gentile table and starts eating with the big boys from Jerusalem again. What are you doing, Peter? So Paul calls him on it. <laughs> you can read about that in the, in the book of Acts. Come on. Come on. Jesus ate with sinners. So we come to the final point, and it's found in uh, verse 12. Uh, where Jesus quotes Hosea and says that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So who goes to a doctor? Well, some of us go to a doctor for a checkup, right? It's just my annual checkup. Um, but most of the time, there's something wrong with us. We're not sure. We want to check it out. Could you just check? I, I went to the doctor recently to check out some post-COVID symptoms that have been plaguing me. Am I okay? <laughs> I've got this and this and this. And they do all these tests and run all these tests and no, you, you just never were good in the first place. <laughs> but, uh, <you> know. <laughs> so we go to the doctor because there's symptoms. The people who go to Dr. Jesus have the symptom of sin. Ooh, Mark, you should post that on social media. The people who go to Dr. Jesus have sin. They've looked in the mirror. And you, you wonder, how do we change? How do we transform? A lot of us think it, that it's just like stair steps and we just get better and better and more awesome and we're so awesome after 10 or 20 years of falling. It's really more like a corkscrew. That the same issues that you were dealing with 10 years ago, you're still dealing with, but you're getting better. And God's working on your life and God's working on your life. But there's no point that you arrive and say, glad I got rid of that sin stuff. <laughs> Last year I was sinful, and this year I'm perfect. Because <laughs> now you're dealing with the biggest sin of all, right? Which, which is pride. So, why is this important? Folks, it's important because everyone gets a chance to know the love of God. Even now, more now than ever. John 3.16 is our story Missionary God, salt and light God, who crosses the infinite gap 
to come to you and me, sinners, and he sits at our table. Now go back in your story. Did God just show up one day with a big neon sign or maybe a plane going by with a banner and saying, Mark, wake up. You're an idiot. Mark, turn or burn. Mark. You know, it was just a series of stories of people in my life that kept eating with me and eating with me till light dawned on marble head. And it's the way it happens with all of us. You eat a lot of hummus. And some of us have given up eating hummus. We have forgotten how to eat with sinners. We've forgotten how to be with sinners. No, I'm not espousing that you go out and, and now start sinning. Mark said in church that we need to go out and start sinning again. No, the stance, all the doctrines that we come to hold is true. They are still true. Jesus is the Son of God. There is a trinity. The Bible is the Word of God. I believe that abortion is wrong. I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. But I also believe that anyone who had an abortion is coming to the table to meet Jesus gets a chance. And I also believe that someone who's made uh, gender and, and marriage decisions that I don't agree with, that they get a chance to now discover Jesus. Because if they have to be right on all the hurdles that I create, before they get to Jesus, they will never get to Jesus. The question is, what hurdle do I have to cross to get to Jesus? Is it political? Political party? Is it my right view of this? Is it my right view of this? Lately, it's been my right view of mandates. You won't get to Jesus unless you have the right view. There is no hurdle to get to Jesus but the cross of Jesus. No hurdle. And we don't have the right as Pharisees to establish new hurdles. They got to think like me before they can ever get to Jesus. Rather, they eat with Jesus because they ate with me. And then the discussions begin. And eating with them doesn't validate their viewpoints any more than Jesus eating with these people was validating their sin. We want revival. The only way revival will come is through sinners discovering Jesus. It's the only way it happens, folks. It's really, really messy. So if I was a Pharisee, prone to judge, not that any of us would ever be judgmental, what should I do? Well, my recommendation would be that we retire. There's already a judge. Position held. So retire. You're not needed as judge. You are needed as lover of sinners, but not needed as judge. So the words that Jesus spoke to Matthew is what Jesus speaks to you and I today. Follow me. In the propensity of the church to start out as sinners, gradually 
circle the wagons, become darn right, and shoot at all the other sinners. We have to resist that. We have to stay in the game, stronger in our doctrine, stronger in our holiness, stronger in everything as we follow, but never stop loving sinners. You with me? So 90%, maybe 99% of evangelism, we all love that moment. I love the moment that my sister said she wanted Jesus. And I said, I don't know how to do this. I've never led anybody to Jesus before. So she says, what do you do? And I said, well, I think I'm supposed to pray, and then I think you're supposed to pray, and then I think I put my hands on your head. And so that's what we did. And then I let my mom to Jesus, led my dad to Jesus, led my brother to Jesus, cousins. It just went on and on and on. But evangelism is 99% pre-evangelism. You eat a lot of hummus. You get your hands messy in people's lives. You get to know their children's names. If someone said to me, Mark, I want to do this, but I don't even know a sinner. <laughs> Hold up the mirror. <laughs> Step one. Step number two. Where do, you, where do you get coffee? Where do you, where do you eat? Where do you go to what grocery store? Okay. Then go to that same place again and again and again and meet the checker, meet the guy, the barista, meet him, say, hi, I'm so-and-so, what's your name, so-and-so? And, and then the next time you're in there, just say, hey, it's me again, Mark. What was your name again? Yeah. And you got kids, what's, what's your deal? Oh, I love baseball. And then the next time you're in, he says, hey, how's the baseball going with you? Or how are your kids? I, you know, you keep building. You just keep eating hummus and hummus and hummus until you see him on a bad day. And they say, you okay? And I say, no, it's not so good. And, and uh, I wouldn't recommend that you reach your hand over the counter and pray for them right there, you know. But I'd say, you know, you mind if I pray for you? I'll, you know, when I go away, I'll pray for you. Or, um, and then you ask them again, how did that thing go? And how did that thing go? You're loving sinners into the kingdom. So, my friends, I'm so excited about what's going to happen over the next 30 years here. But I know it's going to start with us loving sinners. It's the way it started back in 1976 when this church started. It's the way it happens again. So Chuck Smith, who started the first Calvary Chapel, you probably know the story. But it was in the days of the hippie movement where people of my generation... We're practicing sinful things. <laughs> so not only were people long hair and barefoot, but they were practicing free sex. They were dropping acid, getting high on pot, and, uh, 
everything else. It seemed pretty lawless. Like everybody gets to decide whoever, whatever they want. Sound familiar? So Chuck and Kay Smith began to drive their car down and park in the parking lot at uh, Huntington Beach, looking at all the hippies and uh, pray for them and pray for them and pray for them until finally their son brought home a real one. (laughs) And the journey began. I pray that this journey would happen today. This world is weirder than I ever imagined it. But I pray that we have a church who's daring enough to go out and eat with sinners. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to be daring enough to follow you, Jesus, just like Matthew did. We pray that you would put people in our minds who don't look like us, who vote differently, look differently, think differently. We pray, God, that you would humble us to realize that somebody else's sin is not worse than our own. And if we're judging with pride that perhaps our sin is even worse. We pray, God, that you would bring us back to your grace, your undeserved love, that out of that love that you loved us with a long time ago, that we would love others with that same love. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Would you stand with me? Folks, if you're going to love sinners, it's going to get messy. Because it doesn't happen all at once. They don't, you just don't catch them and clean them right there. You know, it's just, it, um, some of you know Rose, a missionary that we've supported for 40 years. Um, I was with her uh, over in Thailand, and she was seeking advice because she had been invited over to Burma by a drug lord to preach the gospel (laughs) now that's messy right and so she's preaching the gospel to hundreds of farmers who are growing opium and they're coming to Christ and and now the drug lord has come to Christ who has multiple wives and he says according to your Bible I can't be an elder because I have multiple wives I said yeah that's actually what it says because <laughs> that's not a good model but nevertheless I just kept thinking this is so messy and so Rose says to me what do we do because if we just burn the opium crops thousands of people will go without food this has been their livelihood. I said, oh boy. Um, and I kept thinking, well, what would the Pharisees in America say? <laughs> you know, they, they burn it, burn it. You know, God, God, God will drop he- food from heaven. I said, I don't know. I think we've got to come up with a plan of a, a new crop 
that will replace the old crop. And so let's do that. Let's start, find, let's find that crop and then let's start doing that. And I just could think everybody's going to judge me that um, it just didn't happen all at once. But it's, it's how it's happened in your life. It's how it's happening in my life. And so let's say that the one who gets their hands dirtiest wins. Let's, let's say that we reach out beyond the borders of, of comfort and meet someone who's different. And I'm going to figure out how to love them into the kingdom of Jesus. Are you with me? A little bit? So may God be with you this week. May God open all of our eyes to see the opportunities around us. May God give us courage to cross the same infinite gap that God crossed for you and for me to step into their world. May God give us wisdom, wise as serpents, to make sure that we are not deviating from any of the major doctrines while at the same time loving sinners. And may God give us courage when other Christians judge us to still love. When the friendly fire happens, uh, may you still have courage to love the people that you're winning and leading to Jesus. Folks, if you need prayer this morning, we would love to pray for you. That's why we're here. Uh, thank you. I just love this church. This church began with a bunch of sinners just saying, I don't know how to follow. Let's do it this way. And here we are since 1976. And um, let's continue to love sinners like Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.